0: If you're new to intermittent fasting or you're seasoned at it, you're going to love today's interview. I sat down with Dr. Mindy Pell's, the queen of intermittent fasting. That's coming up right now. Hi, Mindy. I'm so happy you're on the show today. Welcome to Morphus. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those who aren't familiar with you, can you just tell, give us a little bit of a background on who you are, all the, you've written three books. You are to me, the queen of intermittent fasting and fasting in general, but I'd love you, to, I'd love it to come from you so our audience can hear directly from the source.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put it in, in a couple of lines, but um, I've been in the functional health world for 25 years and um, my doctorate is as a chiropractor. And what I started to notice is that about 10 years into my practice, People were changing. The bodies people were living in were were really different. And now that I go back and I look at it, it our environment dramatically changed. We started having more toxins in our food, and we people became more sedentary, and we had more, um, you know, more of the short attention spans from our phones and things like that. And so I started to morph into more nutrition, more detoxing, and really helping people undo the the trauma of modern day living. And um, about that time, I was going through, I'm 51 right now, so I was about 40, I started to notice that my own health was changing. And um, it didn't make sense to me because I was eating well, I was exercising really well. And like there was, I was getting chiropractic care, going to the acupuncturist, like everything, taking supplements, like everything appeared to be totally fine. And my own symptoms were appearing, insomnia, depression, anxiety, um, uh, brain fog, things like that. And the answers that I was really given by colleagues and friends was like, buck up. It is menopause and you're going to need to learn how to live with it. Yeah. And I didn't really want that as a solution. So I spent most of my 40s trying to understand what was happening hormonally to women. And um, I've put the, the findings of that in the new book that I have, The Menopause Reset. But I would say that now my passion is really teaching women how they can thrive in this modern world we're living in. How do we balance our hormones when there is so much toxicity, when there is so much stress around? And that really is how I stumbled upon fasting because fasting was, is such an incredible tool for insulin resistance. And most women going through menopause have insulin resistance. So it kind of like unfolded into this journey that now has me teaching fasting to women over 40. I love it. And I love, first of all, around the same age, I'm 50. I turned 50 this
0: year and same perimenopause and into menopause. And now I'm in menopause and it's so fascinating. And I've been a nutritionist for 20 years and always looking, I wrote a book called "Unjunk Your Junk Food. I mean, we, we always look at ingredients in food and we talk about chemicals. And I love that you also do that. And you're looking at what we're putting in and on our bodies, because that's of course what we can control. And it has a tie into so many different factors, right? So I want to talk about intermittent fasting because that to me, like I said in the beginning, you really are the queen when it comes to intermittent fasting, and you've you've taken it to such another level that I literally I'm in awe every time I'm watching your videos. I'm like, wait, I didn't know that, or that's so cool. Wait a second, because I've been doing intermittent fasting, or let's call it IF for the sake of the shortness, and uh, we'll show how cool yep. we are. And no, I'm just <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a lot of terminology that may need some
0: explanation. <laughs> yeah. so we'll call it intermittent fasting or IF, and. Um, I would love you to start with the definition of what is intermittent fasting. And then also, how does it differ from time-restricted eating? Is it the same thing? Is it not? So let's start there. And I I have like a million questions to ask you, but that's a good place to start.
1: Okay. So intermittent fasting actually became popular for two reasons. One is that there was actually a really cool research study that came out. It's now a book called uh, The Every Other Day Diet. I don't know if you ever ever no, read that. I've never heard of it. But, yeah. but it was a woman who decided to take a group of chronically diseased people. They were obese. They had metabolic syndrome. They had um, were eating poor food. And she asked them that every other day they fast. So what they were told to do is like, one day eat whatever you want. Next day, don't eat anything. And they had to do that for a year. And by the end of the year... What they found is that the majority of people, it may have been 100% of the people, all lost weight, their cholesterol went down, their food choices changed, um, their body literally went into this accelerated healing state. So this book, I wish I could remember the woman's name, this book really brought to people's attention this idea of intermittent fasting or alternate day fasting. At the same time, we had some great research coming out of Japan showing us that if you go about 13 to 15 hours without food, that you could start to upregulate growth hormone. You could start to get the body to kick in some ketones and repair itself. And so these two studies were like coming together at at about the same time. And it was about six years ago. Hmm. And so Intermittent fasting was born from these early researchers. What it is known as now today, the way I use the term is 13 to 15 hours without food. I think that is the easiest. I think the alternate day diet is very difficult. Um, But last year in 2019, the New England Journal of Medicine came out and said that they have reviewed over 1500 peer reviewed journals on intermittent fasting. And they discovered that it should be the first line of treatment for cardiovascular disease, for neurodegenerative problems, for some cancers, for obesity, for diabetes. I mean, the list goes on and on. And in that journal, they bring up that you can intermittent fast doing it alternate day fasting, or you can do the 13 to 15 hours. So I think it's important to make sure that people understand there's two styles of intermittent fasting. And I like that you mentioned the 13 to 15 hours, because I used to think
0: that I had to do 16 to 20 in order for it to be effective. And now that newer research is showing the 13 to 15. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that's the prime amount of time? And then also
1: what happens when you're in that zone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So think of it like this. When you stop eating, there's actually, let me back up one step. There's two ways you burn energy. One is from the food you eat and the other is from actually your fat And what we have found is that when you go about 13 hours without food, you move away from this, what we call a sugar burner uh, metabolism, and you start to click over into a fat burning metabolism that happens around 13 hours. So and then as you switch over into this fat burning metabolism you there is a chemical reaction that will take place and that chemical reaction is known as ketones ketones will be secreted and these ketones are incredibly reparative to the brain they are indications that the body's burning fat now. They will upregulate neurotransmitters like GABA. So this switch from the sugar burner to the fat burner in the presence of ketones is really where the healing starts and it heal it starts around 13 hours. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is the longer you stay in that fasted state, the more chemical benefits you get and the more healing benefits you get. But 13 is really enough time for the blood sugar to be low enough for the uh, stored sugar in the liver to register that it needs to make a switch over to fat burning.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting research. Now, I've heard a term, I've heard the term, you
1: use it called autophagy. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So at 13 to 15, in that range, your body's just think of it like a dimmer switch. It's just like, oh, it's going to slowly switch over. And now it's going to be a fat burner. So now we're in fat burning mode. Ketones are getting made. And um, then as the longer you stay in there, as you hit 17 and 18 hours without food, it initiates an intelligence inside your cells that says, hey, blood sugar's not going up. We're not getting any food, so we better become more efficient. And so it takes the inside of the cell and it cleans it up. So any bacteria that's in there, viruses, which is really important for us to point out in this moment in time, that it'll clean up what's going on in the cell. It will repair mitochondria and the mitochondria we now are, the dysfunctional mitochondria are the root of so much disease. So you literally, if you can hang in there and you can go 17 hours, now you've stimulated autophagy and autophagy basically is the self-repair, we look at, it translates to mean self-eating, mm. but that's a little bit of a misnomer because it will eat the bacteria. It will clean up the bad stuff in there, but it also repairs proteins that make that cell more efficient. And you'll never, ever get access to this if you are eating six meals a day. This right. is like a whole repair system that people didn't even know how to access until this came became so popular.
0: What's your guideline in terms of
1: trying to get from that 13 to 14 to that 17 to 18? Yeah, so the way I like to step it is the first thing is get comfortable with 13 to 15. Just you know, some people are going to have to push their breakfast back and like slowly get there, but once you're like, hey, I'm in in a comfortable state with 13 to 15 hours, then one day a week, I encourage people to push that fast out. So go 17, if you can go to 24, 24 is one of my favorite fasts because there's great research showing that it repairs the uh, gut lining and that you'll get a whole boost of stem cells inside your intestinal tract. So anybody who's got parasites or candida or anything going on in the gut, 24 is amazing. But try it once a week, that would be the next step. And then the one thing, and this one is really important for women, is that one day a week you step out of fasting and you do, and you don't fast. If you look at how our body was designed, we were designed to go in and out of these metabolically challenging states. So one of the things that I've been trying to educate on on YouTube is that just because one meal a day is great, just because intermittent fasting is great, it doesn't mean you're supposed to do it all the time. Right. You are built to go in and out. You can do it most of the time, but you need to step out of it as well.
0: Kind of reminds me of like exercise, right? So when you do too much of it, then you want to actually, you don't want to do that. You want to take a break and kind of go in and or like the hit exercise, right? So, yep. Yep. so it's done the same way.
1: Yeah, I just found some really cool research um, on, the, uh, they call it metabolic switching, on metabolic switching and actually with COVID-19 and with the immune system. And what they're finding is that when you challenge your uh, uh, metabolic system and then you follow that up with recovery, recovery is eating, sleeping, and resting, that you stop viral replication in your body. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's because that's how we were designed and nobody taught us. It's like it's like they forgot to give us the manual on on how to when to eat and we've been all just living this let's eat all day long lifestyle.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great because and and it, it's good because we're actually we're eating the food that obviously when we talk about eating healthy we're talking about whole foods unprocessed foods okay? staying away from the chemicals and the additives right so that goes without saying making sure you're exercising properly but incorporating intermittent fasting into your diet so whether it's yeah. a few times a week or you're doing that twenty four hour cleanse once a week I love that you know because I find that it's an easy goal to to actually try to reach to right and build ourselves yeah. up slowly so yeah. my question is what about yourself what are you doing so if we were to look at the the optimal way of doing it so we for, let's pretend now that all of us have been intermittent fasting now for a really long time we're all super pros at it what would be that ideal state of eating on a week on a weekly basis
1: well ideally i'll tell you what ideal is and then i'll tell you what i do and how i incorporate it so we teach of what we call a 511 so 5 days a week you intermittent fast we encourage people to follow it up with like a keto style um, eating because that really goes hand in hand with intermittent fasting nicely. So, uh, one day a week, you're only doing what we call one meal a day, which is about 24 hours of fasting, and one day you're not you're not fasting at all. So that would be the first step. Now for me. I build it around busy like how busy my day is. So today I won't eat until dinner because I have back to back appointments and it's actually quite convenient. My mental clarity is really going to be uh, you know as the day goes on gets better and better and better. So I look at the busiest days and I say that's going to be my 24 hour day uh fasting days and sometimes that's 2 days a week and it just is the way it works into my schedule. And then on like Sundays, Sundays is a big feast day in our household. We go to the fa- farmer's market, we cook as a family, my parents come over for dinner. That's the day I am feasting on good, healthy food. And then the other days, it really depends on my schedule. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm hungry and I have time to eat food, I'll eat. But I I definitely rare, I rarely eat breakfast. That is not, I mean, I, I have to almost force myself to eat breakfast now. Um, but it's usually built around the busyness of my lifestyle. And when you talk
0: about not fasting, so on the days that we're not fasting, does that mean that we're going to before 12 hours? Is it, you know, what does that mean to you? Just so we're clear for our audience. Yeah. So
1: it's up to you. You can decide what you want to do. I call it feasting. And what you do on a feast day is you look at three different things. Um, You look at, Uh, what we call hormone building foods. These are foods that will help build up things like progesterone. Women that are going through menopause, is pivotal. So your beans, your rice, your squashes, your uh, citrus fruits, tropical fruits, potatoes, you you wanna lean into foods that are gonna build up progesterone. So a lot of our resetters will do hormone building. Then there's people who we really encourage, they do protein building. So there's great research showing that every two hours, if you eat um, 20 grams of protein, that you actually can stimulate something called mTOR, which will help to build muscle. Mm -hmm. So we have people do a protein build day. And then sometimes I tell my resetters, like you just need a release valve day, like stop counting, stop thinking, just be intuitive with your food. So, um, so that's, when I say you're not fasting, it also means you're not counting calories. You're not counting macros. You're not pulling out your blood sugar reading, like reader, like you're just going with the natural flow of your body and and what you have. The challenge we are seeing, and, and this is really how my YouTube channel started is that people love fasting so much. They just want to keep doing it. <laughs> and then eventually they hit plateaus, hair starts falling out, they start gaining weight again. So I've had to really encourage people to, to enjoy food. It's not always fasting. And that's really where that 511 variation came in place. Right now, you mentioned following it, going in in conjunction
0: with a keto diet, but you just talked about rice and potatoes. So, just so I'm clear in terms of what you're recommending from a food standpoint, I see you're smiling. So, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, (laughs) you've got this beautiful smile. I highly recommend coming over to YouTube, (laughs) checking out her channel and ours, of course. But
1: what do you mean exactly? Like when we. Um, yeah. So the way I, the way the general term I use is fasting lifestyle. I want everybody to build a fasting lifestyle. So what does that mean? That means that you vary your fast and you vary your foods. So there is fasting variations and there is diet variations. So we as a culture become zealots for one diet. We are like, I'm a vegan, I'm paleo, I'm carnivore. And then we eat that same way over and over and over again. I do not recommend that I recommend that you vary your diet and I in that variation I would include the ketogenic diet The ketogenic diet is where you bring down your net carbs. I like to bring them down around 50 net carbs a day. Um, I also think there's great there's really interesting research in carnivore diet right now okay so you could throw in some carnivore living. I also think plant-based vegan diet has a place. So we've never been taught how to vary these diets. We wanna be in one camp. And I do not recommend you stay in one camp. That's where disease builds because you're just giving your body the same food over and over and over and over again. And you've got like 6,000 different types of bacteria in your gut and they need you to give it variety. Sometimes it needs collagen from meat, other times it needs you to load up on greens. So it's the hardest concept because it's much easier to say, I'm vegan, and you just eat one way. What we're trying to do is teach the variation. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. So what would you say then to genetics? So for example, I had my genetics tested and I, it came back that I can't eat high fat and that I don't digest starch very well. So I follow a pescatarian paleo diet. So okay. what would you say? And I find this very interesting because I am very rigid in what I'm eating, but I love what you're saying and how opening us up to different things and getting the different food varieties in
1: our diet. What would be your answer to somebody who has those genetics? Okay so a couple thoughts on that. So for starters remember that you are more bacteria than you are human cells. Yes. So like 10 to 1. Yes. So where gen- genetics falls apart is it doesn't take into consideration what your microbiome needs are. Mm-hmm. And so like we've we do gut tests all the time on people in our practice and Nobody has good gut diversity, nobody. And when I sit and ask them, tell me your diet, everybody's eating like the same hundred foods over and over again. So I don't care what your genetics are when it comes to your microbiome, we need a diet that's gonna feed that microbiome. Now, having said that, with genetics, we can use it as sort of a general guideline. So if you tell me I'm pescatarian, I'm thriving, my energy is really great, I love the way I feel, my blood work is amazing, I would say stick with it. You're doing great. And start thinking about your microbiome a little bit more. What can you do to improve your, your microbiome? Add some more chia seeds or flax seeds to your meals. But what what I find is that like vegetarianism, you get people who would say, my genetics say that I should be a vegan and they're eating vegan over and over again and they're gaining weight or they're not feeling well. This is where we need to step out of genetics and start to look at the whole person and the whole person includes the, the bacterial needs as well. And then the last thought, and I'm sure you've addressed this is there is epigenetics. Your genetics change as you're exposed to different lifestyle And if you look at just fasting alone, the research on fasting shows that something as simple as a 14 hour fast starts to turn off bad genes and turn on good genes. So our genes are changing where they're not like, yes, our hair colors, certain genes are set in in stone, but for the most part, our genes are changing. So don't get attached to the pescatarian diet. Yeah,
0: and I love that you're saying that. I think it's actually quite brilliant. Let's talk about what we can and can't eat when we're fasting. So we're in that you know 13 to 15 hour zone or that 24 hour zone. Can we drink? What what can we, can we take our vitamins? Does that break a fast? This was a question I've been wondering too because when I'm doing my fast, I'm still taking my vitamins. I'm like, wait a second, am I breaking my fast? So I wanted to ask the queen herself, what exactly does that mean? And what can and can't we be doing when we're in a fast mode?
1: Yeah. Okay, so the basic principle here is anything that raises your blood sugar is going to take you out of a fasted state. And so, what is that? You know, for, for some people, you can do your coffee and your tea, you're going to be just fine. Other people can't do that. Some people can put butter in their coffee and they will thrive. Other people can't do it. So, when it comes to what you're drinking, you rarely can you eat anything in a fasted state that will not raise your blood sugar. But when it comes to drinking, um, you know, a tea or mineral water or what? I mean, we've had all these questions. Um, iced tea, like you should hear the, the, I feel like I've been told every, like, does this break a fast? Does this break a fast? You've got to look at, does it raise your blood sugar? And there's only one way to find that out. And that is you take a blood sugar reading, you drink your coffee with butter in it. Half hour later, you take another blood sugar reading. Are those two blood sugar readings very similar? If they're within a point or two of each other, your coffee's doing great, your tea is good. We've had people ask me about Diet Coke. I don't recommend you drink Diet Coke ever. So, but they, I know, but they ask us that. And I'm like, no, wait, wait, let's go back to you don't drink Diet Coke, even in, in an eating state. Like ever. So, ever, <laughs> right, like ever. So, so, or anything like a lot of people go to diet drinks and they don't understand that like, you know, like NutraSweet can make you insulin resistant. So, but if you test it with this blood sugar, you can know for you. Now, with the supplement, you could do the same thing. You could take your blood sugar, test the supplement, and then take it again and see some supplements will raise your blood sugar. Hmm. But I like to look at the supplement and the medication, really supplements, because medication should be a conversation with your doctor. Hmm. But I like to look at the supplements as um, what are you trying to accomplish? So if you're in a longer fast, you're in like a 48-hour or you're trying to do a three-day water fast, What you're trying to do in those longer fasts is really honor the intelligence of the body. And I don't want to mess the intelligence up by putting supplements in. It doesn't make sense. I want to sit back and watch my body heal without any manipulation of anything. If I'm intermittent fasting, yeah, take your supplements and they're not going to pull you out of a fasted state. Okay. Now you mentioned ketones
0: before, and I know through you, you were talking about testing your ketones, which I've done before. And So to know whether we're in that state of ketosis, I guess would be the way to say it. Mm -hmm. When I've done my testing after, let's say even 16 hours, I don't have the ketones in my urine. Why is that? And then is there a way, obviously I'm not doing something right. Is that it? Because
1: we should have ketones at that point. I Just want to understand that really well. Yeah. So the best way to test ketones is blood um, oh, okay. and with with the meter. So the problem with urine strips is they just tell you what's coming out. So okay. you're just seeing what's coming out you're, and it's not really giving you a, a, a good gauge of if you're in active ketosis. Okay. When you do a blood reader and you look down and it says 0.5 or above, you that is the amount of ketones that are accessible for your brain because your brain is going to be what gobbles it up and it is showing that you your liver is now switched over to a fat burner it's using that as a fuel source and the byproduct of that is ketones so it's an indication you've made the switch which is awesome okay the longer you're there the more ketones that are that are accessible the more healing's going to happen and i really like it as a as a as a measurement of has your body made the switch but what I, again, I'm finding in our community is, just like people get obsessed with the scale, they're now obsessed with the ketone reader, and that's not what we're we should be doing. We should be using it as an indication if we've made that switch.
0: So, are these home devices that people can? You talked about measuring your blood sugar. You talk about measuring your ketones. These are actual home devices. Yep purchase yeah do you have this on your you
1: obviously yeah we yeah we recommend a keto mojo Um, it has the cheapest strips and so it's the most cost effective and you can find it on on my web under my dr mindy's favorites Um, and we, we really like it it has the most reliability the cheapest strips and we have people test in the morning when they first wake up and then we have them test right before they eat and what you're looking for is you're looking for that second reading. You want to see your blood sugar go down and you want to see your ketones going up. And if that's happening, your body knows how to make the switch. And that's awesome. And that ketomojo measures your blood sugar as well? Yes, yes. It measures oh, so both good. ketones. Yep. Oh, with one, So all you have to do is prick your finger once. It will transform the way you look at food. Like, you know, we get on the scale and we have all this judgment about the scale. Like we were a certain weight when we were 20 years old. And therefore, so we have so much history on the scale. I just think everybody should throw their scale out and they should look at something like a blood sugar reader because it will tell you what your food is doing. If you wake up in the morning and your blood sugar is 120, 140, you got we got some work to do. If you wake up and that blood sugar, and these these are American measurements, if you wake up and you're like at 70 to 90, your blood is doing your blood sugar is amazing. Your food is amazing. This is how we can create a really healthy relationship with food. The scale's not going to do that for us. I love that. It's like
0: we say it when we're naturally savvy. My other company, we're like, forget calories. Those are like, go no 2019 and before. Like, right. Let's look at ingredients and now let's That's- look at blood sugar. So it's taking it a step further, which I, right. I love that you're saying
1: that it'd be like, it'd be like getting into a a car, a new car and being like, where's the eight track I've got, or where's my cassette player? (laughs) Like that's, it is so it's super outdated. And we get people that still show up in our community asking about calories and, and upset. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't count calories anymore. No, No more. And it's been so freeing to not have to count calories. Yeah.
0: Forget the calories. It's all about the ingredients and now obviously about the ketones and the blood sugar. So we take yeah. it a little bit further. I like that. Now you talked about blood sugar be- measurements. So should we always be so that you mentioned 70 to 90, you mentioned everything anything over hundred. So if we're going to get the keto mojo, and we're going to be looking at balancing our blood sugar, what is that ideal range to be in? So you were saying initially not to move. So anywhere between the range of 70 to 90 is good, even after you're eating, just give us a little bit, I guess, about blood sugar regulation, because it's so important, as you mentioned earlier, and as we talk about it, when it comes to menopause.
1: Yeah. So you, you want to wake up somewhere between 70 and 90. And um, if you're in that range, that's really healthy blood sugar. I do. Uh, we do get a lot of people that are, are like around 100 and they get really freaked out. And I'm like, no, 100 is not even bad. Like if you walked into your medical doctor's office and you're like, my blood sugar is 100, they'd be like, that is awesome. So it's when we start to get into 120, 150, 200. I heard a story today of a of somebody who had a 400, her dad had a four, he, his blood sugar was at 400. So these are those are very unhealthy. So you want it to be between 70 and 90. You are in ketosis if you're at 0.5 or greater. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you know, should I be at 2.0, should I be at 4.0? And with ketosis, it's not always, the name of the game isn't always the more is better. We just wanna see that you've made that switch in order to make that switch you got to get the blood sugar down they go hand in hand kind of like estrogen and progesterone like they're a team you got to have one go down so the other one could go up and if you do, if you can't get the blood sugar down it'll be difficult to get the keto, to get into ketosis so and then after food we don't do a lot with blood sugar after food but it is kind of interesting So you should see, if you get a spike after your meal, you should see that spike come down within an hour of the meal. And it should be down to what it was Mm pre-meal. If it's taking five, six hours for your blood sugar to come down, there is a sluggish liver there. There's something that's not, or a pancreas that's overworking. Something's not allowing it to happen. Mm -hmm. But that's only helpful if we hit a point where you can't wake up between 70 and 90. Right, got it hydration. Now, obviously, oh, there you go.
0: I, I want to talk hydration because it's so important for so many things, obviously making sure we're getting enough water, liquids in our diet. How important is it to be hydrated when we're fasting?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So hydration also ties into minerals. So I'm going to kind of clump the two of them sure. there. So um, it, 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 it's, it's important and there's an exception to the rule. So let me start off with, with the importance of it. So one of the things that I really learned from just fasting so many people is how mineral deficient our world is. And um, a lot of that's coming from our poor soils. People don't realize that they're eating food that is not has no nutritional value anymore. So um, when you go into fasting, there's two things that you wanna make sure are at their highest. You wanna make sure that you're hydrated because it'll be less stress on your body and you wanna make sure your minerals are up. So if you can do that before you go into even an intermittent fasting lifestyle, you will find that you'll have a really positive experience with, um, with intermittent fasting or even a longer fast. If you go in already dehydrated, if you go into the fast already in a depleted mineral state, you could struggle. And what struggle would look like is a lot of people end up with racing hearts where their heart is like, feels like it's gonna pound out of their chest or their hair st- starts to fall out or women with thyroid problems start to have issues so the two most important well the three most important things going into a fasting lifestyle is minerals hydration and then you want to keep you want your blood sugar to be stable you got to get off the up and down now the 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 advanced an exception is there's some cool research on dry fasting. I do not recommend that if you're new to fasting, you try dry fasting, but there is some really cool research on brain function, uh, when you actually do no food and no water. And what type of water do you
0: recommend? So obviously filtered water, we're not going gonna- to, yeah, we don't want to drink uh it's so like RO, like a reverse osmosis yep. water and plain water. So is that plain
1: water is fine. I've recently kind of geeked out on mineral water, and I found that Grohlsteiner has more potassium mm-hmm. in it. So I've been I've been powering up on more of the the mineral mineral waters with high potassium mm-hmm. because the three minerals you typically get depleted while fasting are potassium, magne- uh, magnesium, mm-hmm. and sodium. Mm-hmm. So. A little bit of of is great. I can't find the mineral content of the of the other ones that I use, but yeah, that's mineral. That's what I do. Is I like to lean into more of the mineral rich mineral waters. What about adding mineral drops to water? So let you say- could do that. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. We've had people put sea salt in water I'm if the they're as a, yeah, like Redmond sea salt, so that you're getting enough sodium because it is those three those three minerals um the other really interesting i just interviewed on my podcast uh simon chang who is uh peak tea and peak tea has created these tea crystals that are highly concentrated have a have a large mineral balance in them and they're made for fasting Hmm. and so you can go check out peak tea's
0: website as well that's great. Thank you for that, that uh, information. Yeah. And you're right when it comes to minerals. So much of our food is deficient in it, right? The soil isn't growing it. And even if we're eating, you know, so many organic yeah. salads a day, which many of us are not doing, it's hard to get the minerals we need. So I love that tip, adding some minerals or drinking the bottled water that it's a, is it a bottled water that you recommend? Is that Yeah. Good?
1: Girls shiners like comes in a glass bottle. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So drinking that and then, but making sure that you're getting your minerals, which is, which is really important and making sure you're drinking. So ladies, making sure you're drinking very, yeah, very yeah. important, staying hydrated. Let's move on to menopause for a minute. Okay. okay my, so- my next favorite topic. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> All right, let's go. Oh. So menopause, intermittent fasting for women in menopause. One of the biggest things we hear, hot flashes, weight gain, obviously insulin resistance and the blood sugar imbalance.
1: Why is fasting super, super important, especially for women in menopause? Okay. So, here's my here's the best way I can explain menopause. What you should have been told on your 40th birthday is you should have been told for the next 10 to 15 years your ovaries are going to slowly stop doing their job. And it's going to for some of us it might be 5, some of us it might be 15, but they're going to be out. And yet you have they've been doing your sex hormones. They've been doing estrogen, they've been producing estrogen, progesterone and testosterone and you're not going to get as much of it but they need to hand the job over to another organ. So they're gonna hand it over to your adrenal glands. So if you are already stressed out and you're 40 and you go through your 40s in a high pressure, high stressed out world, you are in for a wild hormonal ride. As estrogen goes up and down, that can signal more insulin resistance. So, and as you become more insulin resistant, you also start to throw off progesterone and testosterone. So it becomes this crazy circle of madness that we struggle to get off of. So I like at 40, I think there is a lifestyle that needs to change for women. And the lifestyle is really five things. And this is what I mapped out in my book. The first is you need to start fasting because if you can get insulin c- under control and intermittent fasting is fine. You could just start with that. Most, most of my menopausal women love how they feel fasting so much that they try more and more, which is fine, but you got it. You got to start building a fasting lifestyle. Then you've got to look. The second thing is at your quality of your food. You, the junk food that you were able to eat in your thirties and your twenties, you're not gonna be able to eat them anymore. So you're gonna need to stop counting calories and look at macros and look at how much protein am I eating and what kind of carbohydrates am I getting. You wanna get carbs from nature's food, not from cookies and crackers and bagels and breads and pastas. You wanna move more towards the potatoes and the squashes and more of nature's food. Then you got to start feeding your microbiome. You have a whole you have a whole um, microbiome called the estrobolome that helps to regulate your estrogen levels. And you got to look at your toxins, and then ultimately you're going to have to look at your stress. So what I find is that at 40, if you haven't implemented a fasting lifestyle, start there. Start with intermittent fasting, then clean up your diet, and just those two things alone will transform so many women's hormonal symptoms. But we are in a culture where we are like, oh, you have hot flashes? Oh, you're gaining weight? That's menopause, try HRT, try bioidenticals. And you're not sleeping? Okay, you're depressed, take a medication. And th- that is where I start to go irate because <laughs> we just weren't taught we had to change our lifestyle. And the stress you got away with at 30, you will not get away with at 45. So honor that and change your lifestyle accordingly. And to me, fasting has to be a piece of that. How does intermittent fasting affect sleep? Well, sleep in general, I mean, ketones affect sleep. So, well, let me back up. Intermittent fasting will bring down inflammation. When inflammation's down the body, really will be more balanced. So we love that. Intermittent fasting can lead you to ketones. Ketones will repair neurons in the brain, neurons that control circadian rhythm. So Mm -hmm. they will affect your sleep. The more ketones you have, the more GABA you're going to get. And GABA is a calming neurotransmitter. So it's it's the anti-inflammatory part of the brain and it's the neurochemical change that ketones are making that make it easy, easier for you to sleep.
0: Is there anybody who shouldn't be doing intermittent fasting?
1: That's a great question. And um, I would say that the biggest area, there's two of the biggest um, conditions that I hear from people that they're like, my doctor told me not to do this. Um, one is adrenal fatigue people. And I will tell you that we have taken people who we see their adrenals completely flatlined and we slowly like build them into intermittent fasting. So if you know you're adrenal fatigued and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm going to try a 17 hour fast, I would highly recommend against it. Mm. You want to just slowly work yourself into 13, 15 hours. The other area that we see it a lot is with thyroid conditions. But back to the mineral conversation, back to you know honoring a slow and steady fasting approach, I have just found both adrenals and thyroid can be healed with intermittent fasting. Other than that, I don't I don't even diabetics, oh my gosh, the number of diabetics that we're getting off med- medication just from intermittent fasting. There's just the more intense your situation is, the more you're going to want to be coached through the process. But remember, this is how you're designed. You're des- you're not designed to eat all day. So all you're doing is tapping into your own internal design, and th- there's nothing wrong with that. But yet, some people will need a little more guidance.
0: Hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. Talk about the Dutch test. I know you've mentioned it quite a bit. Why is it something that we should consider getting it, an or there and? And, or are there other tests that we should consider getting again or bringing to our doctor? So when we go to our doctor and we're getting a checkup again for us women in menopause or perimenopause, we're like, okay, we're, you know, we're having all these symptoms. We want to try, obviously we're, we're going to try intermittent fasting. What are some tests that you recommend, including what is a Dutch test good for?
1: Yeah. So in the world of functional medicine, oh my gosh, there are a bazillion tests you can do. So I always tell my resetters, like, don't get over crazy with tests like there are some that are just pivotal and honestly the dutch test is incredibly pivotal and especially for women over 40. so i like it for a variety of reasons it lets you know what your main sex hormones are doing so we can find out like for me when i was 45 i did my first dutch test and found out that my hormones were so depleted from all the stress that i have i had been living and that I was worse than a menopausal woman and I wasn't even in menopause. So it helped me adapt and go, whoa, I need to make some changes. Yeah. Uh, It can also tell us if you have any cortisol dysregulation. So if you're getting a a spike of cortisol at night that might be preventing you from sleeping, well, that would be helpful to know. And there are some techniques you can do to bring cortisol down. I think the most life-saving part of the Dutch test is the estrogen metabolites. It shows you how estrogen is being broken down. And you have one estrogen that's very productive and two that are going to kill you. and yeah and you've got to have those in balance so when i first learned about the dutch test i was like why are we not doing this with mammograms Mm -hmm. why aren't we doing this with every woman over 40 because i can go and i can tell you if you are on a collision course towards cancer or if you are doing just fine and it's in that estrogen metabolites that is so powerful Yeah, I I absolutely agree
0: with you. And so the the we have a company that we work with called the DNA company that tests for that as well. So I know exactly what my, you know, exactly how much is going to E2, E4, E16. So just Just to explain to those of you who are listening, the E2, the estrogen E2 is the one you were talking about, the protective one, and then the 4 and 16 are not so great, but doing a test like the Dutch test or the DNA test will actually tell you what your estrogens are doing and very, very important to understand. So thank you for explaining that.
1: Yeah, no, I I think hormonal testing should be the wave for women. I just, especially as breast cancer is so prevalent, like, why aren't we doing this on women? Yeah. So- yeah, and we'll put links about that below. One. Uh,
0: yeah, I agree. I and so am I super passionate. We'll put links below for those of you who are interested and uh, we'll put links to Dr. Mindy's website as well. Dr. Mindy, I mean you're such a wealth of information. Is there anything that we didn't talk today talk about today that you feel that we should mention before we end our interview?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think the only thing I would say on the on the topic of menopause that really um baffles me is that when we the closer we get to 50 you know, our kids are growing up. If you have kids, our we're, we're, our wisdom is just emerging. Like to me, like that's where we should be thriving. And when I hear so many women who hit 50 and hate their bodies, mm-hmm. it just breaks my heart because that's not how you were designed to be. The 40s are rough for women physically if you aren't making the changes. So whoever, if you're listening to this and you're not happy with the body you're living in, understand that there is a course correction. And the course correction, what I love about fasting is, I think we need to get out of this idea that we solve our problems with pills whether it's a supplement or a medication, we need to go to lifestyle first. Mm. And if you haven't worked on your lifestyle and you're hating where you're at, let's start there before you start trying to go towards what I call the magic mushroom. And you're looking for the magic pill. It's, It's not there, the magic is you. And when you match your lifestyle to the design of your body, you will thrive. And then from there, you can figure out what supplements you might need to bring in. But we got to start with lifestyle. So don't give up on yourself. You just weren't taught what lifestyle a woman over 40 should have. Can you share your website? And then also, what are some of the programs that our viewers or
0: listeners can find out more when they're going to your website or what they can do with you if they want to try intermittent fasting?
1: Yeah, Uh, So Dr. Mindy Pels, you can go there. I've got a wealth of information. Go to my YouTube if you want to learn more about fasting. I'm putting out new videos all the time and bringing science and having great discussions there. I have a free fasting group that's on Facebook called the Resetter Collaborative. And then where my heart and soul really is right now with people is in my Reset Academy where we're taking small groups of people and teaching them how to apply these principles. We're doing in January something called the Reset Experience where for the whole month of January, we're teaching all the different fasts, all the different ways of eating. And we're allowing not only teaching it, but allowing people to experience it. So if any weird stuff shows up or they have questions, they can bounce it off of us. Mm. And the goal is that by the time you hit February one, you are feeling your best and you are metabolically fit. You're immune strong. Uh, This is what the world needs right now.
0: Just a quick definition of metabolic you've used it a few times and for those who are listening might be like what is it what is it what exactly does it mean yeah metabolically
1: fit means you can go from a state of eating of being a sugar burner and a fat burner that you're able to go in and out of these states one of the ways you know you're not metabolically fit is if you're hungry all the time right. if you can't go without food you haven't you haven't you haven't tapped into the fat burner doesn't mean you can't. It just means you haven't tapped into that. So we've got to get you to be able to tap into that. And that's what fasting will do. Thank you so much,
0: Dr. Mindy, for being on our show today. I really appreciate all the information you're thank sharing you. and everything that you're doing.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you and keep up your amazing work. This, the generation of women over 40, they just, they need more information. They need more guidance. They need yeah. more people believing in them. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you.
0: What an amazing interview with Dr. Mindy. She is the queen of intermittent fasting. And I love that she is spreading the information about healthy lifestyle exercise, as well as incorporating intermittent fasting into your diet. If you got value out of today's video, please give us a big thumbs up and please share our video because the more you share shows you care. And please leave your comments below because we'll be sure to answer them. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.